cold open question of the week. Kaz, this episode is a very special interview with famed former WWE writer Brian Gewertz. What I want to ask you, though, is do we need to talk about anything up top or should we just go on to shooting the breeze with Brian? Well, I mean, we can always talk about uh, AW Dynamite. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just totally kidding. Totally kidding, guys. That's Very so special episode. I love AEW. It was a great show, but special episode. Let's, let's get into it. <laughs> Here we go. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. Stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. What's going on, jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. Gross Battle Season 1 champion, Mike Long. The king of sad stop. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Troy Kirby. It's Nick Mundy. This is your real WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm Shinsuke Nakamura. Zach Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the Gufaraja. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening. You're listening to this. You're listening to. You are listening to. You're listening. You're listening. listening You're listening to the Masked Man Show. 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 Welcome to the Masked Man Show with Kaz and with very special guests, Brian Gewertz. How you doing, Brian? Good. How's everyone doing? Great. We are doing fantastic. Everybody, everybody in the world knows Brian. Uh, when you let you used to work for WWE, yeah, for the majority of your adult life. Now you're on to bigger and better things working for The Rock at seven bucks. Um, but uh you still love pro wrestling, right? You're still it's still it's still part of your lifeblood. Yeah, yeah. It's it's permanently, you know, ingrained into my DNA, especially after you know, working at WWE for a decade and a half. Uh, how does it feel to have become like a name check in pro wrestling that people like pro wrestlers will talk about you on podcasts and, uh, <laughs> and like you went from almost complete anonymity, like me and five other people knew your name when yeah. you were like when you were at your peak and now everybody in the world knows who you are. Well, uh, yeah, that that's that, that might be a slight um, overstatement, but, but but thank you anyway. Um, I guess I would say, yeah. I mean, I always use the barometer. Like, if you if you knew who I was, you're in too deep. You need to take a step <laughs> back from your wrestling fandom and get like you know more hobbies or something like that. But uh, yeah, that's you know, it's it's one of those things where um, 
yeah, it, you know, to get name checked for better or worse, by the way, um, you know, is, is a very interesting phenomenon. I think, you know, when we, so when we started seven bucks, um, and Hiram Garcia, who's, who's the president of seven bucks and I, you know, joined, uh, Danny Garcia, who's, who's the co-founder of seven bucks, uh, along with Dwayne, she basically like looked at Hiram and I and was like, you know, you guys have zero social media presence, which is, which is pretty remarkable. So you need to do something. Um, and Ryan, you hate pictures and everything associated with them. So you should do Twitter and Hiram, you should do Instagram since you're like a great photographer and everything. So that's what we ended up doing. And uh, yeah, I think it suits both of us. When you watch wrestling now, you, I mean, you were known, I mean, a lot of people probably know this, but you were, you know, you wrote for The Rock. Like, you're one of the first times I heard about somebody, like, having a writer was, like, you, like, working on The Rock's material with him and stuff like that. And I know there's other examples. But who do you watch now that you, like, you know, would would love to to, to be writing for? Yeah, well, well let me, well, I'll, I'll backtrack for a second. Because you're very, very, very kind, I think, in assuming, maybe this is just me working with Vince for too much. Because <laughs> Vince is always, like, never assume anybody knows anything. My <laughs> God, you're assuming too much but um yeah i mean like so i i appreciate that but yeah i mean just in terms of an overview yeah like you said i mean i was kind of uh i, I jumped in at a very opportune time in wwe because i started writing for them um right after russo and ferrara left and it was just you know there's a there's a writing staff of like in you know upwards of 30 people now and back then it was just basically me and and, and this really talented writer tommy blacha uh formerly of conan um, and, and we were just in it with the McMahon family and that was it. So, uh, yeah, and that obviously expanded over time and everything and, um, you know, led to a, to a, you know, a, a kind of crazy whirlwind career at WWE. So that's, that's the short backstory just to satisfy and state my inner Vince. Um, but today, you know, in, in all honesty, it's, it's a little difficult. I'm still in Australia, by the way. Um, and that might be for, you know, if anyone's wondering if there's a time log or, or lapse or something yeah, we, like that. We get, a, we get a really cool Australian delay with Brian. So that's what that is. <laughs> if anybody's wondering. <laughs> we shot Young Rock down here and I liked it so much. And, and I thought I was going to like hate it because, uh, you know, I'm like a typical American. Like, you know, if you remember those um, Energizer commercials from the 80s with the, with the crazy Australian guy just running around with a giant battery. Mm -hmm. I just assume that's how everybody down here works. Um, <laughs> it's only, you know, like 20% of the people down here are like that. So it's not that bad. But um, yeah, I liked it so much. And there's no COVID and I've gone to baseball games. I'm going to go to an Australian basketball game. So it's like going to a Star Wars marathon in a movie theater on Valentine's Day weekend. was a little depressing, but still, you know, I'm fine with that. Um, so yeah, I just decided to like, you know, extend, well not extend, but stay as long as my work visa allows me to. Um, and so I haven't been able to get to your actual question, David, like to, to watch a ton of stuff, but I don't really, you know, nowadays I don't really have to because everything pops up on your Twitter feed and you can go on YouTube and you can watch whatever you want to watch. I mean, like any, any decent writer with any kind of creative spark, obviously, you know, really loves and respects Bray Wyatt and what he's doing as the fiend and as himself. And, you know, I'm so glad that Alexa Bliss is now into this storyline as well. Um, because you could tell, you could tell sometimes even watching, having worked there and Kaz, you know, this too, like, like you could tell when 
talents are kind of, I wouldn't I'd never say going through the motions, but like craving more and wanting to do more. And I got that feeling, you know, certainly, you know, watching Alexa for, and now that she, you could tell when someone similarly, when they have their teeth sunk into something and are really enjoying it, um, which is obviously what they're doing too. And, you know, I think, you know, you guys talk about Drew McIntyre. I think he's, you know, basically an untapped canvas right now. It's a really, it's a really, really challenging position for him to be in with, with to be the champion and the, and the standard bearer with no fans. I mean, I can't stress how wrestling more than any other form of entertainment is, is affected by that. Um, and a really challenging, difficult thing. I mean, it helps a little bit with the Thunderdome, I suppose. Um, but it's just, obviously it's not the same, uh, even worse when it was all in the performance center. So, you know, I'd really love to be able to tap into that character and, and find out who he is other than just, you know, a, a, a baby face who's, who's respectful of other baby faces and doesn't back down from a fight because, you know, obviously to really, really make it, you're going to need a lot more than that. Brian, I know you mentioned uh, two things. One, you're shooting Young Rock down here. I don't know if you know, but they're starting to show commercials for it out here in America. So people are really starting to look forward to that. What, the first question I want to ask is, what can we expect from that show uh, for wrestling fans that, you know, followed The Rock and his father and his grandfather's career? How much of a wrestling nerd do you have to be to really enjoy Young Rock? Like what's, what's going to be the thing that pulls you in if that's what I'm watching for? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think the show kind of functions on two levels. You know, you don't need to really know anything about wrestling to enjoy it, enjoy the characters. But if you do enjoy wrestling, I mean, this is, I mean, this is so thrilling to be down here and on the set every day watching this come together because there really hasn't been like an Avenger of wrestling personalities kind of sharing maybe the Hulk Hogan cartoon in the 80s, I guess might be the closest <laughs> approximation to that, um, but slightly not as realistic as, um, you know, you'd like it to be. But, you know, we have we have actors portraying, obviously you've seen it in the spots, but, you know, Rocky Johnson, uh, JYD, Andre the Giant, Macho Man Randy Savage, the Wild Samoans, Iron Sheik, um, and th those are the ones, you know, that you see in the trailers. There's about probably half a dozen more that I don't want to like, you know, spoil any surprises who are, you know, yet to be unleashed on the show that you'll see. And the biggest thing to me in portraying these guys, um, you know, and, and by the way, too, I want to point out that we had the unbelievable talented and, and superstar in his own right, Chavo Guerrero. Um, coordinating all the wrestling action. He was down here. He like bonded with all the actors immediately, um, you know, coming off a of glow, you know, he was just so instrumental in making all the wrestling sequences that you see. All the actors worked with Chavo extensively. Um, oh, and I should point out Leah Maivia too, you know, Rock's grandma, the first female promoter, um, you know, out of Hawaii and everything also was a boss and, you know, she could be her own show in her own right. Um, so, you know, that's all, that's all really cool. And for me, it's always, you know, I've always, and I'm sure you guys too, I've always kind of like, it kind of pissed me off a little bit, um, you know, over the years to see how wrestling is portrayed in mainstream entertainment. Cause it's always like something like, you know, out of like a weird Al Yankovic video or something. It's always some like crazy screaming person in spandex. Like an Eminem video or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's always some cross-eyed person screaming screaming at the top of their lungs 
And, you know, we know as fans, like, that's not the case. That like, these are actual interesting three-dimensional human beings with lives who, who, you know, take their profession seriously and are larger than life characters. Um, I'll, I'll let you guys in on a, on a thing I've never really shared with before. So there was a time at WWE where Vince gets on kicks sometimes. And one of those was like, you guys, I, I don't think he thought we were doing enough, which was incredible since we were working like 17 hours a day. Um, still not as much as him, but still, he's like, you guys need to start writing mag magazine articles and WWE.com articles under pseudo names. Right. I'm like <laughs> what? Right. Um, wow. So, okay. Like, so there was like this, and, and still on the website where we all took like fake names and started writing columns, which is like, what are we doing with our lives here? We're like writing television, you know, every single waking second of our lives. Now we're, now we're Mike Lupica or something on the, on the uh, WWE.com. Well, so. nobody more nobody more qualified to to write a, a kayfabe column, though, right? I mean, it feels like that would make sense. Well, thank you. Yeah. It, it, well, if you search for it, it's called, I mean, I haven't looked at these, so I, I shouldn't really reveal this because they might be terrible, but I, I called it the irresistible force. And I used my friend, uh, I changed my friend's name from Rob Schrader to Bob Schrader. And, and that was, I think it was like just five columns until Vince finally forgot about it. But <laughs> one of those columns was about like the disrespect that, you know, WWE and wrestling in general usually receives from mainstream Hollywood. And, you know, I was always agitated that you know, we were never covered in like Entertainment Weekly in their fall premiere edition or mid-season edition and TV Guide. Back when like actually reading periodicals and magazines was mm -hmm. a thing that, that people did. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I always like, thought like WWE always got the, you know, we're a show. We're, you know, and uh, yeah, maybe subliminally I was trying to justify my own existence writing for WWE as well by getting that, you know, a mainstream attention. But there was never, it was always just kind of like overlooked as, Kind of like, oh yeah, and then the crazy people from the wrestling show are going to do their wrestling thing. Yeah. And I always thought, you know, we were always short sighted because you guys know better than anybody. It's it's more than just you know the land of a thousand dances video, as brilliant as that is. So we definitely wanted to take an approach, you know, on Young Rock to show these people and show them in their lives and make it fun and treat the treat the I'll say it the sport. The, the entertainment, sport entertainment um, aspect of it, like with respect and, you know, with the, with the gravity and the, and the, you know, just, just the way it should be treated because it's so much more than just the way it's been, you know, other than glow, really, you know, they were the first ones to do that. But as far as like these larger than life characters to actually see them the way they should be seen. Yeah. I feel like outside of glow, like dark side of the ring, like it's hard to like get people to see something pro wrestling that isn't necessarily like you know uh, Raw, SmackDown, or NXT or AEW at 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 this point. Um, that 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 gets like that sort of like mainstream respect, right? Like oh, like yeah, like wrestling's like the background, but like the real story is like the drama, the murder, and the sex, the romance, all this other stuff. And I I feel like towards my end, per speaking personally. Like, I feel like towards the end of my run at WWE, I think this was, uh, they were making like a concerted effort to really be like considered for like Emmys and like, you know, actual television awards and stuff like that. I don't think it it, bear, it bore any fruit, but you know, I'll, I'll, I want you to answer this and then I'll, I'd love to answer it as well. 
do you think there was something that you wrote that should have been considered for that should have gotten some general real Emmy consideration? <laughs> well, wait, no, no, make it. Make it just to make sure he answers. Let's say this: If you had to put something you wrote, if you had to pick up, one, there you go. It, Much up better. for Emmy nom an Emmy nomination. You're in charge <laughs> of the selection. What is it going to be? Uh, yeah, I mean, without question, Hornswoggle as the general manager of Raw would have to be. You know, would say the the Emmy. You know, that would be the you know on displayed on the billboards of Los Angeles everywhere for your consideration. Um, I do have a story about that, but we get that to another time. I was actually just DMing with Dylan earlier today about that is why it's so fresh on my mind. But um, yeah, you know, like, look, I was, I've always been like really proud of um, the Jericho, Shawn Michaels year long, practically angle that we did. Um, you know, when Jericho was, you know, kind of like this transitioning in terms of his character, as far as this kind of like begrudge suit wearing heel, who, as, as always, as you guys know, like when, when a heel is technically speaking absolutely correct in what they're saying and are just displaying their disgust and everything in a way that rubs people the wrong way, that's, that's always magic because you can't deny it. You, you see their side and yet you you still cheer for them to get their asses kicked anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be truthful, I was never really a Shawn Michaels guy going in. You know, I always, you know, as a fan, I always rooted for Brett and, you know, the nation, you know, versus DX and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, Sean was away when I first started and didn't come back and it, you know, it took a little while to break the ice. Um, so to be able to like, kind of, you know, tap into that and work with him and then actually, you know, really get along with him well, as well as Chris and basically sit down with this canvas. Cause that's really, you know, as you guys know, the magic is when, not when you hand someone a piece of paper, that's like the, that's the worst version of it, I think, is like when you're just giving someone like, yeah, they proved it, so you got to do it. You know, and the wrestlers, they all hate that. We all know that. Um, but when you actually have time to sit down with talents and basically like chart something out and get their input. And, and some days, you know, some days I would like write almost everything and hand it to them and they'd be like, wow, this is, this is actually really good. We'll just make a few weeks and we're good to go. And then some days... You know, they everything that poured out of their heads, we just transcribed onto the paper and it was coming from them 100 percent. But it was just that great mix when you have that trust and respect that, you know, produces magic, especially when you're not like, you know, got to get this approved and got to make sure that, you know, um, everyone's happy and that kind of thing, because the person didn't have input. When all three have input, it's great. And and they all knocked it out of the park. So I would. I Yeah, I, I think. It's certainly maybe not for writing, but even for acting, I think uh, Chris and Sean deserve some accolades for that. Eye for an eye, man. I remember that. That was a great. That was a great storytelling. That was fantastic. What's yours, Kaz? Oh gosh, I don't. I don't have nearly the extensive rapport as 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 Brian would. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, there's only two that really come to mind, right? Like, I, I've never really got to work on something like super like year long like that. But um, I did have a few moments that crowds really loved. One was uh, when we went to Seattle and we got to rag, I was with Elias and Kevin Owens and we got to rag on Seattle for not having a basketball team. And I had like the sports knowledge <laughs> to all this stuff. And mind you, this whole time we're trying to make, you know, Leo and Bobby like this, this hot new, like sort of baby face 
uh, tandem and, and we couldn't use John Cena, but we got to talk about him since he was coming to Australia. And, you know, we wrote some lyrics or uh, well, helped Elias and, and collaborated. And you, and you said it, right? Like handing the paper off is not the fun part, but the fun part is like being able to collaborate with, you know, the, the, the talent on what you think is going to work and what's not going to work. And, you know, Elias isn't a big sports guy. Uh, I'm sure he is now because it, it works for him a lot. But he wasn't a big sports guy when we were talking to him. So I was like, yeah, you know, and then boom, 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 the Supersonics or whatever uh, leaves out of town or whatever. And he, he said something along the lines of, along the lines of uh, yo, are, are they going to react to this? Like, is anybody going to care? Like, I'm like, no, trust me. Like, they, they're still very, very sore about their Supersonics, right? And as soon as he mentions it, like, the crowd just completely takes over the entire arena, like the, the you know, ends up on Sports Center, Deadspin, all this type of stuff, and like <laughs> save our Sonics, and then Detlef Shrimp and 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 Sean Kemp start tweeting at Elias and Kevin Owens. I'm like, if it doesn't get any better than this, I'm good. Like this was like just being able to mix in all of those elements of of uh, fanfare. So I wouldn't say an Emmy, but maybe an ESPY. Like at least like a, a crowd moment of the year or something like that. Like I'll take an ESPY. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A T L A S S I A N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Ryan, uh, one of the big things you haven't been watching, I know a lot right now, but one of the things that like is getting a lot of attention in WWE is that uh, Bad Bunny. I don't know if you're familiar with Bad Bunny, but he's he's uh, 
kind of become a mainstay on Monday Night Raw. It's, it's a you know he's a uh, a rapper had a song about Booker T, and now he's a apparently a wrestling fan is doing like off the top rope spots. Uh, and every and people are kind of going nuts. He's clearly a fan. He's clearly wants to be there. So people are, I think, fans are mostly pretty accepting of him. And he's also incredibly popular. What do you have any celebrity stories from your days that uh, that you can tell us just about what's it like when you're working with this really close set of professional athletes and all of a sudden, like you know, there's a 95 pound rapper there who thinks he's gonna body slam somebody. I mean, first of all, I think we could do a whole offshoot podcast series on the guest host era in general. Um, that was a pretty crazy time. Um, (laughs) you know, whenever like Vince, Vince always like shoots for the stars, you got to give him credit, you know, um, you know, when the network came out, like, I think the phrase was like, like Netflix only better. Whoa, that is quite a bold point. Um, I think I think similarly when we were doing the guest host era, he said something backstage is like this will be like Saturday Night Live only better, and like all of us are like, no, no, this isn't going to be. Um, I mean, maybe the Piscopo era before Eddie Murphy better, but like I don't think this is going to be better in any sense of the word. Um, but like we. Yeah, it, it's always it's always crazy, you know, when a celebrity comes in and, and I didn't know Bad Bunny beforehand. Um, I mean, that was that's one of the shocking things on Young Rock as I'm, I'm, I'm working, you know, people on the camera crew and stuff are like born in 1995 and I'm explaining to them who Weezer is. And they're looking at me like, you know, I'm like an 80 year old toothless old man. Um, but, you know, the, the key is, is that he's a fan. Right. So like when you're a fan everything changes, you know, it's so much easier to get like celebrities to do something and to, you know, get their trust and to actually, you know, it translates, you see it, you see it as an audience member when, whether you like the celebrity or not, like when you see that they're actually into it and they're actually, you know, legitimately happy to be there. That's, that's the key. That's the whole difference. Uh, and then you could pretty much use anybody. I mean, like, like I didn't work, obviously I haven't worked with Bad Bunny. Um, I did, I did have, um, um, a vomit incident with Kevin Federline that I'm proud <laughs> of. Um, because we, uh, he, 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 with the day he pinned John Cena, he learned that he, that he got a Super Bowl commercial. And so we all, myself, him, Ed Kosky and some other people went out to, uh, whatever that, love Ed Kosky. I'm going to sound like <laughs> a 90 year old man again, whatever that rock roll bowling place. Oh yeah, he's the best. He's the and we best. started we started having um Michael Jordan specials, which is the special drink from Michael Jordan's steakhouse. Um and yeah, the next time I saw Kevin, he's like, Oh man, that night that was too much. I, I threw up in a ditch and I'm like, Oh, I threw <laughs> up in my hotel room. So like we had that like, great like bonding moment that you don't, you know, experience of with um, you know, in any other field really, but the same way. But I would I would say I mean, I've, I've talked about this before. I mean, th- there's nothing like the Bob Barker experience that we had when he hosted Raw in Chicago. And, you know, this was one of those things where, you know, I, I, I made the correct decision, um, which for me is, you know, a rarity of reading his book beforehand. Because as a fan, you know, everyone loves Bob Barker. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to watch, you know, like anyone else, like stay home from school when you're sick and watch The Price is Right and everything. And you have these fond memories. Um, and when I got to Chicago, 
which is like the night before, like I had like a whole day, like a whole Ferris Bueller thing. I went to a White Sox game. I went to like a music festival. And then like at like nine o'clock at night, I got this call from Dave Kapoor, who's still there and is also like, Ed, Dave, like a lifer and awesome. <laughs> He's like, like, hey man, Bob wants to meet in his hotel room to go over the show. I'm like, oh, um, okay. So I'm like kind of, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm Michael Hayes here and, you know, a little like in a constant state of inebriation, but you know, it was a little tipsy that day when like Dave and I went to Bob's hotel suite and it was unbelievable because Bob was in his like silk pajamas, his manager, who I believe is named Henry, it was somehow older than he was, (laughs) is there in like a full suit. And like, we're going over the script and he's, I wouldn't say he's, he's brittle, but he's a little, he's not necessarily all that warm because a lot of the things that he wanted to put in the show, like Vince moved to, you know, whatever it was after the bell, WWE.com after the bell. Mm -hmm. So he was like, Hey, where's this thing about my book and talking about like the, I don't know, but ASPCA or whatever it is. And Dave's like, Oh yeah, man, that's, that's right after that's after the bell. It's this great feature we have. And like, Bob just cuts him off and it's like, that's for the internet. I want it on the show. Like, Oh man, <laughs> Bob is like sharp as a tack. We got to, we got to shift strategy here. And so like, I, you know, I just made the unilateral decision and the correct one at that to not be like, Oh, let me check with Kevin Dunn or let me ask Vince. I said, well, you know what, Bob, you got it. It's going in the show. And then, then, you know, we're going over the vignettes and everything. And I point out like, oh yeah, because you trained, you know, Chuck Norris, like taught you karate, right? Like this is right after you were out of the air force. And it's like, oh, you read Priceless Memories, my book. How wonderful. (laughs) Henry, get these boys some white wine. And then the whole, the whole dynamic shifted once he saw that. A, I read his book and B, that we were just putting this stuff back into the show. And then after that, oh, we were, he was telling stories. He was doing karate moves in his pajamas. <laughs> you know, Dave and I are now like getting drunk with Bob and his manager on white wine. I'm telling him about like my time at Syracuse. He's like, go orange. It was like the <laughs> best time in the world. And then like the next day, the audience absolutely loved him and everything, you know, again, it was like we treated Price is Right and that legacy with respect and treated him with, we got the microphone, got all the stuff that he wanted to get in there. So that is by far like my favorite um, celebrity memory from WWE. That's, that's incredible. That's an incredible story, bro. Um, AEW, I feel like we, we, this is, this is the unofficial anti AEW show, according to people who listen to this show, because we don't talk about them enough. Because you know they only have one show. There's a million WWE shows. It's just the nature of the biz. But um, I'd love to get your thoughts on AEW, man. Like, there's a lot of you know ex WWE guys, a lot of rising indie talent, a lot of legends that are coming over there, even celebrities. And uh, I feel like they're really starting to catch their stride as like a viable, you know, second alternative option for uh pro wrestling fans um so i i mean i just love to get your thoughts on you know you you've been in both eras where you were going fiercely against wcw competition and then you were kind of going unopposed so i would just kind of love to know your thoughts about you know aw kind of rising in the past year yeah well i mean look i'd be you know in complete honesty like i haven't really watched it you know it's just like there's 
so many hours in the day. Um, and that's not a knock on them either. I don't watch NXT either. Just don't have like, you know, the time or really the same passion as a fan anymore to watch it. But I love, you know, I caught it on occasion and you obviously see clips on the internet and I love what they're doing. I love what Cody's doing and, and Chris and, you know, Maxwell Jacob Friedman is an awesome character. I'm a big fan of his and all the clips that I see and, and seeing him, you know, just really take that heel persona and own it and not worry about like coming off as uncool or coming off as like, oh, I got to be slightly likable. It's just like completely, you know, when you, you know, delve into a character like that and just commit to it 100%, um, good things ultimately are going to happen, especially if you're talented. So like I really can't speak to the individual shows, but I'm so glad they exist and are giving talent an opportunity to, you know, if they feel hamstrung by WWE or if they're just not clicking there um, to be able to go there and, you know, and, and it helps that, you know, you can tell that everyone who works there is passionate about it. Um, I can't really, you know, comment on like the, the matches or the storylines cause I haven't seen it, but you know, the fact that they're doing well and, and they are doing well. I mean, I look at, you know, at the ratings, 18 to 49s, I know Jericho being the demo God and everything, and those things matter, you know, even if it's somewhat of a, you know, you could argue an antiquated system as far as tallying the numbers. Um, I know having like worked on shows, you know, outside the wrestling space, if you are in the top 10 in 18 to 49s every single week, um, no matter what, like that is an extraordinarily huge success story. So, you know, I'm glad they're doing what they're doing. Um, but, you know, as far as the actual things, I haven't really seen it. I have incredible news. This is uh, we'll, we'll consider this breaking news for the purposes of the podcast. Uh -oh. Through the magic of Google, I have discovered, originally published on May 10th, 2007, um, uh -oh. an installation of the ir Irresistible Force yes. by Bob Schrader. Yes. Now, <laughs> I'm not going to read any of this. I'm not going to make this too awkward. But in, at the very top, in a, uh, there's a very grainy photo of a professional wrestler uh, from way back when named Edge. Uh, holding the money in the bank briefcase. Um, it's 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 interesting because Edge is now, he doesn't have the money in the bank, but he's the number one contender to uh, one of these titles or another by virtue of having won the Royal Rumble. Um, is it weird seeing the guys that you wrote for way, way back making comebacks in their 40s or, or seeing some of them still going into their 50s? Or is this just part of the fabric of pro wrestling to you? No, it's, it's weird, but it's also, it's like weird and wonderful, right? I mean, especially in the case of, of Adam and Jay, Edge and Christian, who were po told point blank, you're never going to do this again. You're, you know, the livelihood, the thing that you've done all your lives since, you know, you were teenagers is over. And now to see them and not only see them, you know, they're not there just, you know, collecting a paycheck. Um, you know, none of the guys are, but to be able to, to, to really like, I'm especially, you know, obviously thrilled that Christian came back for the Royal Rumble and we'll see where he goes, especially because it always irked me that he never really got a proper goodbye, um, you know, when he did leave. But to see Edge and to see him essentially become such a promo master now in terms of delivery and psychology and everything else associated with his character, um, you know, that makes me like really, really, you know, happy for him and, and being with pride too, because I remember, you know, when I, when I started there, um, and yeah, it is a little jarring to see like, you know, people that you can consider contemporaries in terms of age and everything else 
myself, Edge, and Christian were all born in the same year. So, you know, we had the we had the audacity of putting on their T-shirt when they first got merged, something in the back saying like reeking of awesomeness since 1973, which was like super cool back in like 1999. And now in 2021, it's like, oh, my God. Um, but, you know, we had like it was it was a big it was a big, a big debate back in the day because like we kind of all bonded. We're all the same age, you know, that kind of the same comic sensibilities. I used to go to um, the village to buy their sunglasses for them, you know, because I lived, you know, in uh, Gramercy Park and it would just like take a walk down there and expense it and, you know, maybe buy one for myself. But regardless, <laughs> um, you know, we had a <laughs> we had a debate, you know, I remember debating with a lot of, you know, the, um, you know, the, the people there as far as like you know, the classic, does funny equal money debate, you know, as far as like edge and Christian and are they ever going to grow if they're going to be doing, you know, this shtick forever. And, you know, to me, it was like, well, wait a second, like a year ago, they weren't even talking, right. They were just having like, quote unquote, great matches and they were great matches, but you didn't, you couldn't like, if you asked a kid on the street, imitate edge or imitate Christian, they wouldn't know what to do. They, you know, they're, they were the guys next to Gangrel, you know, watching him spit, blood out of his goblet um so the fact that they have like personas now that's great and like obviously i did not have the you know the the hindsight and the knowledge and nor the maturity to make this argument very you know cohesive i think it was more like but they're good um but you know in a sense you know like our argument was like like well like yeah no one's saying they're going to be this forever but let's give them some, you know, let them grow, give them the confidence on the mic. And you saw that with Edge, you know, to be, to be able to be like, all right, to go from silent rage, the mute vampire, to kind of like this wise ass, um, to, you know, I know I'm probably skipping over a few things, but essentially to become the rated R superstar and just be this all out vile heel villain. And then to become like this, this elder statesman generational, you know, I, I think I mentioned on Twitter once he really is like, he reminds me of the Dave Grohl of WWE. It's like everybody loves him. He can funny and serious. Uh, I think they're actually friends in real life, which is cool. He's got long hair, you know, he's like, the, it's like you've reached this point now where he could do anything, you know, and the, you, you could, you could transition from the edge and Christian show on WWE network where they did some of the goofiest stuff in the world to still being taken seriously because that's what happens when you're like a three-dimensional person and not just playing, you know, a one-dimensional character. So it's awesome to see it. I, I you know, wrestling is really the only, I'm going to say sport again, but it's really the only sport in the sense of like a 47-year-old can come back you know, on top. You know, that doesn't really happen anywhere else in baseball, basketball, football. Um, you can't really do that. But in wrestling, yeah, here comes Goldberg, here comes Edge. You know, if, if The Rock decided to compete tomorrow in the main event, you know, no one would bat an eyelash. That would be completely acceptable. Triple H, too. So, uh, and obviously Undertaker after all these years. So, yeah, it's 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 awesome to see. I love it. Now, now we spoke a little bit about Elder Statesman and, and Edge. And, you know, I think it's, again, just to echo what you're saying, I think it's super cool that Edge is that that guy because he doesn't, he has like sort of like this, the street cred that a lot of other old timers don't really get like you said it like he's he was the silent vampire to you know 10 second pose to reeks of awesomeness to a rated r like he's been through everything 
But now you flip it on the other side of the Royal Rumble, and it feels like every year there's somebody who's having that moment where they're like on the cusp of becoming a superstar, like a megastar. And I feel like Bianca Belair is kind of having that moment. Um, you know, last year it was Drew McIntyre. The year before that, 13 years later, it was Kofi Kingston and Daniel Bryan with WrestleMania and all this type of stuff. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on Bianca Belair, man, because I feel like with her right now, I mean, she just screams like generational talent. Like this is the person that's going to be filling up stadiums and arenas for the next like five years or 10 years or however long she wants to do it. Um, would love to get your thoughts on her. Yeah, well, you know, the thing with Bianca Belair that that I thought was really super, super smart, and maybe this wasn't done, you know, because if I'm if I'm recalling correctly, she sort of debuted, but then like went off and then came back on and that kind of thing. But the vignettes that they did, I mean, that's so key when you have like a good string of vignettes that establish the character. Um, and you know, vignettes with characters can be hit or miss. You know, when the, when they hit. Uh, you know, you know, back in the Attitude Era, those Val Venus vignettes, which was before my time, but were still extraordinarily effective, um, you know, in terms of introducing a new character. Um, and, and the most obvious comp with Bianca, obviously the Mr. Perfect vignettes, um, where you see her, you know, competing in all these different sports. It like, you know, you are able to like show off her ability and her charisma and her incredible natural athletic ability. And, and do it in a way where it's not like this, you know, kind of corny baby face kind of thing, but it's someone like who's, who's, who's good and she knows she's good and isn't afraid to express it. And, you know, that's half, probably more than half the battle right there is to establish a persona that people can cling on to and get behind. Because um, it's obviously, I think, personally, I think it's harder as a baby face to do that because there's so many reasons, so many wonderful reasons not to like somebody mm-hmm. <laughs> in life and mm-hmm. in general. Um, so to actually get someone to like you, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough hill to climb sometimes, but you know, those vignettes, you know, established who she was and like, okay, I get her, I get who this person is. And then the key of course, is to then take those vignettes and, and, and expand upon it and capitalize on it and, and make it even more than what it was, which she obviously did. She just has this undeniable charisma and talent. And it's like, it's thrilling to see. It's, it's great when you see someone who, you know, has it. And you're able, you're able to watch their, you know, nascent rise to the top as it's happening and be able to like, you know, commiserate about it either with your friends in person or on social media or whatever. And it's not easy. You know, there's so many people, you know, that, and I don't name names, you know, you know, talents like who've been there, they're talents that have never been able, whether given the opportunity or just from, for whatever reason, you know, sometimes it's called the, um, you know, we, we, we would sometimes joke it's the Dean Malenko disease in a way because <laughs> oh, Dean yeah. is obviously, you know, one of the greatest technicians and, and great, you know, obviously had an unbelievably great career and was, was super awesome in the ring. And, and, but most people don't know he's like, you know, backstage, he's a cut up. He's one of the funniest people you'll ever meet backstage. Facts. Um, Facts. And yet like, you know, when the, when the red light goes on, you know, for whatever reason, you know, it's just like that kind of dissipates and he's more of just like a very serious, grounded character technician. I feel like I feel like Big E had that for a little while, too. Like Big E, when he first started really coming out, people just thought he was this this big muscle man guy. And then once they let him be him, 
you know, we got to see a lot of that personality. But yeah, anybody who meets Dean Malenko or sees him backstage, he's without a doubt one of the funniest dudes I've ever been around in my life. He's hilarious. Yeah. And, and Big E is, is somewhat of like a miracle when you think about it. Because like here he was, he's like Dolph Ziggler's heater. Like you said, he's the folded arms guy who just kind of like stands there. And then he got like brought into New Day and brought into Vince's, you know, version of New Day, which is obviously, you know, it's great that, you know, you had the three talents together, but it was a lot different than, you know, what the audience wanted and what they wanted to do. And they just, you know, they took their lumps as far as like getting booed out of the building while trying to be, you know, smiling baby faces and everything. And then, you know, he built up enough trust within the company and with the audience as well to like just let his true personality come out. And now you're seeing like the fruits of that labor and those years and everything. I love that Big E is like just so unique and different and able to be himself. And I love like there's that that after show after I forgot what it's called, but, you know, where he basically stood up for himself and said, like, talking smack. Yeah, talking smack. There it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry for my, yeah, it's the, again, the 80 That's all good. Yeah, That's all I'm here for. They the wrestlers. They talk after. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like to call it Paul, Paul Heyman Fix My Life is the alternate title for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I love that he was able to, you know, without really being script, without being scripted at all, um, you know, verbalize exactly why he is who he is and why he's going to continue to be who he is. I thought that was a great moment. Let me put you on the spot here for a second because we got to wrap up soon. My guess is if we had had this conversation at any point in the last five years, uh, and we and I had said, "What story do you want to write in WWE?" If you could, if you were, if you were teleported back there now, you and probably every other person who's ever thought about wrestling would have said, "I want to write the storyline that turns Roman Reigns heel." Um, he's a heel now, and he's the best thing. I mean, he's been the best thing in the company for the past. Uh, I don't know, six months or how many months? Six months? It, it's been an incredible run for him and it's been awesome. And we've all seen this coming for a long time. We're seeing the necessity of it for a long time. But here's here's the tough question. Have you ever talked to Ro- The Rock or DJ about Ro- Royal Rumble 2015 when he stood in the ring with his cousin and got booed out of the building? It, it's, it was sort of the same <laughs> sort of uh, unspoken but spoken um, moment that I had with John. Cena when the two of us watched the Marine privately in uh, the offices of WWE. Yo, whoa, whoa. I love the Marine, all right? I no bullshit love the Marine. Like, it is my type of shoot em up Ask my fiance. I talk to her about this movie all the damn time. I legitimately love that movie. <laughs> well, you know, it, yes, and it, was, and it spawned like 16 sequels and everything and, you know, the Miz and you know, all that, but you know, at the time we watched it and we just sort of like gave each other a look. And then John's like, let's go get something to drink. And we hit <laughs> Bobby V's in, you know, Stanford, Connecticut. Um, now it was kind of similar a little bit with the Royal Rumble that year. And if you notice, you know, like Dwayne, DJ, The Rock, he is, you know, he's expert at reading the crowd. It's like his connection to the audience is, is, you know, what he's most proud of and what, why he comes back and why we're doing, you know, our NBC show too, you know, to to connect the audience to this aspect of his life. Um, Like if you look at his facial expression, he, he will never be one to like, if the crowd is going one way to just ignore it. You know, he kind of had like the same look on his face. If you notice that where he's, you know, it's in all 
the stills too, where he's kind of listening to the audience reaction, similar to his match with Hogan in Toronto at WrestleMania 18, where, you know, it's like, Hmm, interesting. Um, and yeah, like, like we, you know, we didn't like talk about it extensively afterwards, but it was obviously there. You're not blind. You know, we're not going to like sugarcoat it and go like, ah, that Philly crowd, what are you going to do? Anyways, the audience really loves him. Um, you know, we heard it and it's one of those things too. And I, you know, I've been, you know, talking about Vince a little bit, but don't get me wrong with Vince. Okay. He is the man and nobody works harder and nobody's had more hits. Um, than him and continues to. I mean, you, his work ethic and his passion for the business is unparalleled by by anybody who's ever worked in it. Um, but sometimes, you know, we all get tunnel vision. And I think, you know, when it came to Roman, the model was John, right? Because there were plenty of times where the writers would come in and be like, can we just turn John heel with the, you know, let's go Cena, Cena sucks. Like, can we do it? Can we pull the trigger? And it was something like Vince never wanted to do. Like he considered it. He always considers all ideas, but ultimately he didn't want to do it. And I think in the end he was like, (laughs) you know, to put it bluntly, he's like, thank God I didn't listen to you. You know, (laughs) as far as turning John heel, because you know, they, John, the uh, standard bearer and made a ton of money for the company and make a wish and merchandise and everything, you know? Um, And, and Vince, you know, I think considered that as like, by not turning him heel like that, that saved the company, not saved the company, but made a lot more money with him sticking to his vision as a baby face, as opposed to taking the short term uh, approach by, you know, getting a pop in the ratings or a spike in interest by turning him heel. And I think the problem was, I think he took that approach with Roman as well. I think it was the, don't listen to, to, to the people, trust your gut. Roman's a baby face. He's the new face of the company. We don't have, you know, and I don't know, I can't, you know, speak to this exactly, but like, it's always, whenever we wanted to turn John, it was like, okay, well, who's going to replace him? Who's going to be the guy that's going to go on the talk shows and be able to, you know, be the face of the company and want to do that kind of stuff as well, which is also a challenge. So that might have something to do with Roman, but obviously at some point, you know, you can't ignore the, the, the reactions and it wasn't, let's go Cena, Cena sucks with Roman. It was, you know, pretty heavily booze even if you know you always get the reports from the live events and it would be like oh the crowd popped for the finish and they propped on his entrance and yeah there was a section of people booing but blah 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 um you know at some point obviously that mindset of we got to keep roman babyface like we got to keep john cena babyface shifted um and in this particular case it's like similar to like when hogan turned heel in wcw it's like that was the right move to make and you know, teaming him with Paul, you know, that essentially established it that he's, it's, you know, they remember that time where he was a tweener where he's like, I'm not a good guy. I'm not a bad guy. I'm just the guy. And it was like neither here nor there in terms of what he was supposed to be. So you come down with Paul Heyman um, and, and you just come again, it's all about commitment. You commit to being a heel. Um, that's going to have such a more highly, you know, effective way to convey that character than just kind of like let the audience decide. Well, sometimes we need to decide, you know, and, and kind of plant the flag in the ground and let the audience react to it. So uh, I'm so happy for Roman to be able to, you know, be a heel now um, and thrive like that because you're seeing it. He's, he's loving every second of it. You could tell, or at least that's what it seems like. You mentioned Cena. You mentioned Hogan. You mentioned Roman. You mentioned The Rock. All of these guys kind of had, you know, epic face runs. Epic heel runs, except for like really John Cena, right? 
And personally, I feel like Cena's, you know, a, greater than the greatest because of that, because just of the sheer consistency of it. Um, there's always a next guy. You just mentioned it. If we turn Roman, who's gonna do the who's gonna do the TV appearances? Who's gonna do the make a wishes? Who's gonna be the guy that goes against him? Um, and there's always a next guy, right? Even if that person isn't there right now, they're coming. Um, again, I know you've got a lot on your plate, but is there anybody that you possibly see as a potential next guy or girl as, you know, the person who's going to carry that torch for the company as far as being the face? You know, like I, I, I have to, I have to th- think about that a little bit. Um, but for, for what I've seen in the WWE, you know, side of things, but again, when I'm just like looking and scrolling and watching clips and everything, like I was, I was like enthralled by, you know, how great Sasha Banks and Bailey was that program and obviously loved what, you know, Becky was doing with Charlotte and everything like that whole division. It's so great to see it, um, you know, just be like grow and evolve from what it was. Um, you know, when I, when I first started, I think like the third month in the company, you know, the, the entire women's division was, you know, could, could be summed up in the, the Royal Rumble beauty pageant where Mae Young, you know, did the something, something about Mary gimmick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, to see, to see it where it is now um, is great. And I think Bianca Belair, I mean, the sky's the limit for her, um, as well as all the other people, you know, you know, within that stratosphere that I mentioned. Um, and it's, you know, on the, on the male side, my, my lack of being able to like follow it every single week is, is, you know, kind of hamstring me a little bit because I'm sure. I would almost say you not following probably helps more because like there's going to be the, the fact that you're aware of B- Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks, who's on the Mandalorian and all that stuff. Like the fact that that's on your radar, you know what I mean? Should speak even more to the fact that, oh, okay, like this might be the next person because there's no way you're going to catch the person who's killing it on like main events or, you know, the the eighth segment on SmackDown or something like that, you know? Like, you gotta... It's gotta be somebody who pops out in the mainstream or pops out on the timeline or pops out on, the, you know, on 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 TV. So, um, I mean, you mentioned some great names. Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair, Bailey. Like, those are some those are some people that we can see. You could definitely see uh, taking that next step. You know, whoever does eventually, like, fill that role, it's it's gonna come mainly from them. I, I can't stress that enough because I know there's like a there's a certain stigma in terms of like ah the writers the writers who are dictating you know everything that's going on it's like every talent that's truly gotten over has gotten over because they got themselves over uh, and they overcame the challenges and trust me there there are plenty of challenges to overcome backstage and you know being able to give them the opportunity and whatever but in terms of being able to take the ball and roll with it and um, be able to thrive. Um, that's going to ultimately come from them. So you're going to, you know, the, the writing is part of like, it's, it's a, obviously a big part of it, but it's, it is a part of it. It is not like, you know, similar in, in movies and television, that kind of thing where there's a set script that you don't deviate from. There's always room for deviation, WWE and wrestling in general. And the, with the people that you've worked, you worked with when you were with WWE, had it like the rock, for example, I mean, how do you, when did you know that they were, I mean, do you have to, do they have to have already conquered the world for you to realize that they're world conquerors or is it, is it, you know, the first time the rock raised his eyebrow where you just like, Oh shit, we got a thing here. 
Yeah, well, I mean, when I started WWE, I mean, The Rock had already main evented WrestleMania with Stone Cold Steve Austin the year before. So, you know, it's pretty like, you know, certain people, certain people like on camera, uh, it's almost like the opposite of what I was talking about before with Dean. It's like, I'll, I'll give the, you know, Ted DiBiase, for instance, we used to call Red Light Ted backstage because backstage when you met him, he was on the creative team for a little bit and he was miserable on it. And he'd be the first one to tell you But backstage. He was kind of like Eeyore where it's like, well, I guess we're going to go to the meeting now. I wonder what's <laughs> going to happen. And then like that red light comes on and it's like, <laughs> everybody's got a fright. And he's like the million dollar man. All of a sudden it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, so yeah, like some people, you could see it when the camera's on, obviously with the rock, I've never experienced anything like that in terms of like his backstage interviews where, you know, like if it were me, I would be like trying to usher everyone out of there. So it could be that no one could watch me. And like, I'd be completely like going half speed because afraid essentially to like commit a hundred percent. But it's, you know, it's the same approach that he took to SNL. It's the same approach that he takes to wrestling, same approach as a producer on, on young rock, by the way way not to try to seamlessly work that back into the uh interview but it is uh the premiere is tuesday at eight o'clock eastern seven central on nbc <laughs> i should point that out but it's it's a hundred percent commitment and some guys you know know that they're not worried about being embarrassed they're not worried about you know what happens if i fail and that kind of thing and some people you just need to come out of the shell a little bit and you get that by talking to them backstage you know kurt angle is not a flashy, showy type of guy. He's a very humble, um, obviously, you know, intense machine-like competitor. Um, but once we started brainstorming together, uh, and we essentially entered WWE at the same time, you know, his his first pay-per-view was my first pay-per-view. Um, and once we started like talking and you saw that he's actually extremely funny, nobody would know this um, necessarily, you know, even his introductory vignettes, they were very funny, but in a very subtle way where you weren't exactly sure, like, if he was in on the joke or not. He's 100% in on the joke. Um, and you get that by talking to them and then, you know, being able to hopefully write something or write a scenario or get Vince to approve something that lets them uh, show it. And it doesn't necessarily happen. Some people, it could happen overnight. Um, you know, The Rock... Uh, being a primary example of that, well, actually not necessarily overnight, as, as you know, like it took a while, you know, for him to get the opportunity and be comfortable and for audiences to accept them as well. Um, but for some people, it's just like getting that first promo that gets a response is again, why the audience is so critical and getting that confidence to then try something else the next week and then try a vignette and then try to, you know, do something funny or something, you know, controversial or whatever in, in their promo or within their match or an interview or something like that, it, it, it all adds up. And, you know, there's no better satisfaction from the creative team standpoint is when you tap into that and then let it be unleashed on the world. Um, certainly saw that with New Day once they were, you know, being able to get the green light and go. Um, and there's, you know, there's so many, there's success stories and there's, you know, not success stories, but when you do tap into that, it's the best. Well, we got to get out of here, but I, I do want to, you hit on, uh, Young Rock debuts on Tuesday coming next week. I, I don't know how, how exactly to say it. I've, I've only seen the trailer, but of all of these like movies and TV shows about wrestling, the hardest thing is to kind of strike the balance between 
self-awareness and reverence. And I was not expecting to feel the sort of reverence for the history of wrestling that I felt just watching the little bit of the show that I did. For the wrestling fans out there, like what, like how how would you how would you pitch it to the heart to the diehard fan? Yeah, I'd say it's a love letter to the business, um, and one that really has never been seen on network television before. Um, because you know when you get, especially you know you're talking about the relationship that that The Rock had with his dad, who was his hero. Um, you know, and that was, that's, it's an interesting thing because like there was a lot in the creative process early on in the show, you know, we're exploring all these different certain tropes and, you know, when, when the rocks, when Dwayne's a teenager, you know, is he going to clash with his parents and that kind of thing. And Dwayne is very, very hands-on obviously with the show about his life, you know, when he would, you know, give detailed notes on all aspects of the script. And he was like, yeah, man, my dad was my hero. Uh, I idolized him and we, you know, there was, it wasn't exactly, you know, it wasn't a perfect, um, you know, upbringing as far as being, having to move around all over the country and getting evicted out of Hawaii and having, you know, WWE star not being the same thing that it is today when you're going from territory to territory and all that kind of thing. So it involved a lot of, you know, turmoil and they certainly weren't being paid as much as they used as, as they are now. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, like Dwayne DJ grew up in this business and all these things that are attached to the show, being able to, you know, hang out with Andre the Giant and Iron Sheik and Randy Savage and everything, uh, it, it happened. And, it's, and, and so we wanted to be able to, you know, show the love that, you know, we all have you know, for the business. And, you know, it translated, it translated, you know, Nanach Khan and Jeff Chang were the creators of the show. Nanach was like a huge Iron Sheik fan growing up. And, you know, she couldn't wait to write, you know, for the, uh, for the characters and everyone, it's funny, you know, with, with Chavo down there as well, by the time, like we wrapped everyone across the board on the crew and, you know, and writers, producers, everybody, um, fell in love with wrestling again, because, you know, that's what we, you know, that's what the scripts, you know, kind of like showed that love that you, the fan and the wrestler and that connection that they have. And you could just see it like the actors themselves, you know, they bonded with Chavo almost immediately and started hanging out. It was like, he was with the boys again. Uh, you know, when, when we're doing moves, they just, they wanted to do more. Kevin Makeley, who played Randy Savage is like, oh, I got to jump off the top rope and do an elbow drop. I absolutely have to, this is non-negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're like, yeah, man, let's do it. Uh, and Joe Anderson who plays Rocky Johnson is just like the living embodiment of him. So it's, it's, it's really, it was a thrill to produce. And I think wrestling fans, like I said, it, it is a love letter to the business and there'll be even more surprises in terms of wrestler cameos and storylines too, um, that evolved throughout the series. So we can't wait for the world to see it. Thank you so much for coming on. We are all going to watch the show. I'm actually so I'm seriously so excited for I'm it. I'm so Ryan, psyched for it. Yeah, <laughs> Ryan Gewertz, aka Bob Schrader, uh, aka the producer <laughs> of Young Rock. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, man. Thank you, guys. It was awesome. Appreciate you, man. Stay safe out there, and uh, hopefully, we'll get to some Knicks games post COVID. <laughs> Can't wait. Tony Schiavone here on the Mass Man Show. We are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. We'll see you next week on the Mass Man Show. 